You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. So today is the last part of Better to Give. We're wrapping it up. Uh, if you have been here, you know that we have been sharing about generosity and how generosity is not just a matter of financial ability. It's not just a financial matter, but generosity is a matter of the heart. It's a worldview. It's, it's a way to live. And our desire for you for this series is that you may realize, every single one of us here may realize and have a conviction that generosity is a better way of life. Not just for the people who you're blessing, not just for the people who are receiving from you, but for you. It's a better way of life for you, that generosity blesses you. Now you remember, if you remember Dan's testimony at two weeks ago, he shared a message here and he shared a little bit of their story. Dan and Jackie went through some difficult times, but it was when they were going through the difficult time, the least time, the, the least uh, uh, logical time for you to say, I'm going to become a giver now. That's when they decided, I'm going, we're going to be intentional givers. And they began to be generous to friends and other people in their lives. And it was in that process, if you remember, you remember that they lost a home, they foreclosed on a home, he, his job, uh, he basically lost most of his income, his consistent income, because he was in housing, and it was during the great uh, recession of 2008, but it was when they decided to become givers that their lives turned, it took a turn for the better, and while other people were suffering the the the... the effects of the recession they begin to rise last week i shared a message about the tithe first message ever in over 190 sundays about that the theme the tithe and if you have questions or maybe you've uh seen the tithe as something negative of or that word kind of creeps you out a little bit in church i encourage you to go back and listen uh, I, I just explained the heart behind the tithe and that message and the principle of the tithe. And so I want to encourage you with that, especially if you don't know the difference between uh, giving to a local church or uh, to a nonprofit or, or somebody else, uh, a person. Uh, there are differences there. And uh, last week we addressed that. And today, today I want to share a message titled Give First. This is the title of the message, Give First. For some of us in the room, Giving is the last thing that we want to hear about right now. Giving is not really at the top of the list. You have other pressing matters. And if you were honest, you might feel like it's not that you don't value generosity. You do. It's not that you don't think it's a good thing. You know it's a good thing. But in your heart, you don't feel like you have margin. You don't feel like in your life right now there is space for giving. Because everything in your life is taking from you. And for you to give, you feel like you don't have it. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about giving in general. You may say better to give is something that sounds good on paper. It looks good on the screen. It sounds good as a a concept for society at large. It sounds great as a concept even for my life. But I don't think I'm there yet. I think I need to take some steps before I walk into this idea, this notion that it's better to give. Because right now, J.D., if I'm honest, it's better to take. If I'm honest right now, that's what I'm going after. It's better to get. 
You might say, J.D., if you knew how stretched my schedule is, I just want to get some time. I just want to take some time. If you knew how stretched my finances is, I just want to, I got to make a little bit more. If you knew how stretched I am in my patience, how stretched I am in my, in, in my energy, how low energy I, I, I have and, and how little love I have in my tank, you would know. You would know that I could poss- couldn't possibly fathom giving. And if that's you, this message is specially for you. So don't tune me out just yet, okay? You might be feeling like you're not producing enough. You might be feeling like you, what you have might not be enough. And at the end of the day, at the end of every day, you feel like it's, something is missing. Like, like, like there's something lacking. You might be lacking love here today. You might be lacking peace. You might be lacking grace, motivation, energy. Maybe your tank is empty in all those areas. And if you've been looking for ways to fill up your tank, for ways to, to get out of that cycle, I believe God wants to give you a new paradigm, a new way to look at life, a new way to make decisions, a new way to engage your relationships, to engage life itself. You know, sometimes we can get so caught up in the fight, so caught up in the present circumstance, so caught up in what we're facing, so caught up on the giant in, in what we see, that we begin to shape our lives. We begin to shape our lives according to our circumstance. We begin to shape our decision making according to what we are fighting against. And before long, our purpose becomes nothing but overcoming that obstacle. Something that's meant to be temporary becomes a permanent fight. We begin to make decisions that are permanent based on circumstances that are meant to be temporary. And so things get tough. And and we might even think, you know, things get tough at work for a season. I got to find a new career. I got to find a new job. Things get tough in a relationship or the relationship gets sour. I got to get out of this town. I got to move. You know, I want you to remember something today. Your trial is not your purpose. Whatever you are facing is not your purpose. Sure, it might equip you. Sure, it might be testing you. Sure, it might be doing something in you that ultimately it will will work for good. But that in itself is not your purpose. Whether you are facing that difficulty or their circumstance or not. God still has a purpose for your life that goes beyond it. There's something beyond this mountain that you are meant to have and meant to see. And I I believe that God wants to give you vision that you can see beyond whatever you're facing here this morning. Like I said, sometimes we get so laser focused on the problem and what we lack that we don't feel like we have the mental energy or the attention to consider even generosity. Sometimes we try to get what we don't have so much that we forget, forget what God has already given us. And I'm here to remind you this morning that God has given you so much and that you are blessed. You are favored. God is for you. You know, he can affect us all. It can affect the mom that's trying to be excellent about motherhood and her career. It can affect the dad that's trying to be a good father and a good husband. It can affect the student who's going to school and, and has a tension, facing a tension between holding on to his values or her values and having a great relationship with 
their friends. You know, we need a new way of seeing things. If that's you, if you face any of those circumstances in your life, I believe every single one of us here, we need a new vision. A vision that can see past the obstacle, past the strife, past that circumstance, past the situation, past that inner conflict, past whatever might be holding you back, so you can see yourself in victory the way God made you. A victor, not a victim. Proverbs 29, 18 says this, where there is no revelation, where there's no vision, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. You know, maybe you're here today and you have, wi you have wishes. Maybe you're here and you have desire. You have hopes. You have dreams. But if I were to ask you, do you have vision? Can you see? Do you have a revelation of what, uh, from God for your life? Of what God has in store for you. A vision. Not bound by your present circumstances. Not bound to your present circumstances. But a vision that can see beyond it. I believe God wants to give you a vision this morning. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 6 verses 20 through, uh, 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? See, what Jesus is doing here, he's using a physical example to represent a spiritual truth. Right? He's talking about actual vision. He's saying, imagine that your eye is good. You can see everything. You can go places. Right? If, when, when, when you have good vision, you can take the next step confidently. You can walk with confidence. You know where you're going. You can go confidently because you know where you're stepping. You know where you're walking. You can see clearly. But what if you don't have good vision? Then everything is darkness. Have you ever been in a really, really dark room, pitch black? What do you do? You don't walk with confidence. You go like, you don't really know how to move about, right? You look like a ninja trying to. And when you don't have vision, that's, that's almost like, that's a picture of how you walk in life, right? Is, is, this, is this next step good? Can I walk? Can I step confidently? All right, all right. And how about this next one? Is this a trap? Can I go? And what Jesus is saying is that there's a, a spiritual vision that we need to have. We got to be able to see clearly, see well. Because as your eyes go, so does your life go. As your vision goes... So does your life go. And this is a spiritual principle. Because each one of us, we are meant to have vision. We're not meant to walk in the dark. You are not meant to walk in the dark. None of us are meant to walk in the dark. You know, maybe you used to have vision. Maybe you used to know exactly why you're here on this earth and what God made you, uh, to, who God made you to be and what God made you for. But then that conviction began to get clouded with all the things that you're fighting against and all the things that are rising up in your future uh, began clouded. And, and, and then all of a sudden worry came and the what ifs of life came. And, and, and maybe it's not that you have lack. It's not that you don't have enough, but you're not sure. Things got complicated. And you're making it. You're hustling. But you're doing without vision. Without that certainty that God called you for a purpose. And that your life has a direction. You're not working from faith. You're, you're, you're almost like working from, from fear. 
And, and sometimes you even pray, God, I just, I just, I want to have one week, one week where a new problem doesn't show up. Just one week where, where a new problem doesn't, doesn't come up because it's been problem after problem after problem just laying on your lap and you're trying to hold it together. I believe none of us here have come to this place by chance this morning. I believe God is trying to get your attention this morning so that you can have a new vision, so that you can see things differently, that you can see things better. He wants us to have a new vision, a fresh spirit, you know, a fresh spirit so you can see things thriving, a fresh vision so that you can see your marriage thriving. You can see your business booming. So you can see your kids excelling. So you can see uh, your li- yourself stepping into that sweet spot and living in freedom. Vision matters. Why does vision matter? Because vision determines outcome. That's why vision matters. Vision is important. You might be saying, J.D., I thought this was a message about giving. I've been harping on vision. It's important. It's important because... I believe vision also changes how you see generosity. And in some of us, we need a new vision for generosity. You need to see generosity in a different way, in a new way. Because sometimes we think that generosity is something that people who are well off are meant to do. But I wonder what would happen if instead of seeing yourself strapped, instead of seeing yourself in, in, in need, instead of seeing yourself as someone who's lacking, as someone who needs improvement, even though all that might be true, even though all that might be real for you, instead of seeing yourself that way, you begin to see yourself as somebody's solution. You begin to see it's yourself as somebody who can walk into a situation and bless somebody. You begin to see yourself as someone who can bring somebody else's solution. Not someone who is a problem, but a problem solver. Not someone who is offended, but someone who gives uh, forgiveness freely. Not someone who is hurt by life, beat down by life, but someone who's been tested by life, who's been tried by life, and have been found a victor, and can still help somebody else heal. Somebody who can walk into somebody's situation and say, yes, I've been where you, you are right now, and I can tell you, there's a, bright, uh, uh, there's, there's, there's a brighter day ahead of you. Did you know that this is precisely how Jesus sees you? Not as a victim, but as a victor. Not as someone who is lacking, but somebody who has more than enough. When Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see a hot mess. When Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see someone who is visionless. He doesn't see someone who is overworked, someone who's tired. He doesn't see someone who's barely making it. When Jesus sees you, sees you, he sees you as the light of the world, as the salt of the earth. In fact, this is exactly what he said. Matthew 5, verses 14 and 15. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. It gives light to all in the house. Listen to the tension in the words that Jesus shared. He paints a beautiful picture. You are the light of the world. But then he sets the expectation. And he says, nobody puts a light under a basket. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
In other words, it is your purpose to shine. It is your purpose to give light. And if you, as a light, do not give your light, you're not living out your purpose. You will not feel fulfilled. You will not feel like you're living your purpose. Something will be missing unless you give your light away. Some of you, you feel like you're really bright. And some of you feel like you're kind of like a little light. Just one of those little pocket lights, you know, a little LED light. Regardless of where you find yourself or how you consider yourself to be, your light is meant to be given away. It's meant to be shining for all in the house, all those near you. Your light is meant to be used to help other people. In other words, we should have a give first mentality. You know what? What is in my heart? What's in my spirit? It's meant to be given away. God is taking you through some, some things. Turn that into light. You know, you're facing a difficulty that can become a light. Whatever you are, wherever you are right now, you can be a light to somebody else. You may, see, you may say, JD, I, I barely have anything in my life. You know, I barely have anything to give. I don't know if I have any strength or forgiveness or love to give or even any time. Proverbs says this, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers one. It's a biblical principle. Giving is exponential. It grows. And for some of us, I believe all of us, our giving may be the very answer to our lacking. You might have not considered this, but maybe your giving is the very thing that is the perfect response to what you are lacking. We need a new vision. It sounds counterintuitive because most times when we feel like we don't have enough, we want to conserve. When we feel like we don't have enough, we want to withhold. Whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, whether it's financial. If we feel like we don't have enough, we got to conserve. We hold on. We keep everything to ourselves. But God's ways are not our ways. And if we're living under God, you know, even if you're not a church person or, you know, this is a principle for us because this is about who we are as human beings. Luke 6, 38, Jesus says this, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure with, uh, you used will be measured back to you. Usually, we act the opposite way, right? Usually, we ask for the good measure first. Usually, we go, God, God, just if you could give me a good measure, if you could press me down and shake me together, praise Jesus, and make me run over, Lord, so that I can bless somebody else. God, once I receive, I will give. God, just help me. If you give me, God, I will be so generous. If you open the doors for me, I will give so much. And we ask and we pray and we say, God, please, please bless me so that I can be a blessing. And God is saying, just be generous. You know, that's the principle. Just be, be generous. Give first. Give of what you have first. See, our journey shouldn't be toward getting, really. Our journey should be toward giving. We need a new vision. We need a new mindset. I'm trying to open your, life, your mind today. Have an open mind for a new way of life. 
especially if what you're doing is not working for you. You got to consider this. You know, if you feel overwhelmed, overcommitted, overstressed, overworried, and you have a weight uh, uh, on your shoulders all the time, and you feel like you're barely making it, God wants you to live free. And the way of freedom is generosity. That's his method. That's his way. Again, you might say, it sounds good on paper, JD, but when I look around in my office, at the job in my division, when I look around in my class, in my family, the takers are the ones having all the party. The greedy people are the ones that are living it up. I don't see givers at the top of the food chain. This might be true, but only in the surface. I'm going to give you some scientific findings here this morning. Author Eric Barker wrote a book titled Barking Up the Wrong Tree. And I'm going to read a couple of things that have been found uh, in studies that have been done. Scientific findings uh, that, that he publishes in that book comparing givers versus takers. Okay. According to a research led by Adam Grant, who's a professor at Wharton University, Wharton Business University, he found that takers may get ahead initially, but they don't finish ahead. Not only that, takers are not as happy with their lives and how they lead their lives as givers. And the study found that givers are the ones at the very top of every, almost nearly every success metric. What does that tell you? That we were made to give. I have more. When we give, we thrive. In fact, when the researcher looked into the connection between charitable giving and income, talking about finances now, he found that for every dollar donated, this is statistic, every dollar donated, income went up for that person by $3.75. There is a clear relationship between how much was given and how much was earned. Another study uh, called The Right Amount of Trust shows that income peaks among those who trust people more, not less. So even if you trust somebody more, uh, your income rises. A third study, uh, uh, according to this study, a third study, the Terman study, showed that people who are kind live longer. And in, in, in the issues of happiness, there's three things here that are very interesting that they, they, they show. In the issue of happiness, research shows that people who are less tolerant to unethical behavior, that's scientific word for sin, all right? Scientific term for sin here, unethical behavior, they are happier. People who are less to tolerant to an, of unethical behavior are happier. And here are the three things that they found. First, spending money on others makes us happier than spending money on ourselves. Second thing they found, volunteering two hours a week increases life satisfaction. <clears throat> Connect community on Sundays. Yeah. Shameless plug. You can ask our, our people. It's true. The people who serve here. Volunteering two hours a week increases life satisfaction. Third, those who donate their time to help others feel less busy and like they have more free time. It doesn't make any sense, does it? It doesn't make any sense, but it's how we are built. 
And by the way, studies also show that people who attend church regularly are happier. So you can clap for yourselves, all right? Because this is a true, true fact. How's that for science and religion for you, huh? <laughs> when Jesus said that it is better to give than to receive, he wasn't trying to trick you into losing your stuff or getting your stuff. He was showing that generosity does something in you. It changes your life perspective. It releases you from any trappings of this life. And there are many things trying to trap you, trying to keep you worried, trying to keep you down. And if you haven't looked at generosity in this way, I'm giving you scripture and science here this morning, okay? Because they, they confirm each other. If you haven't seen generosity in this way, I want to encourage you today to look at it from a new perspective. And I said at the beginning of this, of this series that every, every message would have a focus on finances because finances are, uh, the finances are, are things that we all deal with. I said it in the first uh, part that there are 2,000 verses in the scriptures relating to finances. And Jesus shared 16 uh, parables that talks about finances. Why is that? Because he wants to make sure that we have the right mindset and that we are not trapped. So when Jesus talked about the eye, when he talked about vision and the eye being the lamp of the body, it was, it was packaged. It was, it was part of a context in scripture. And I want to read the whole passage for you now so you can understand a little bit better. Matthew 6, 21 through 24 now. It says this, For, you, for, your tre for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then light is in you, uh, if the light in you is darkness, how great in, is the darkness? Why is he saying that? He explains now. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He compares two kinds of light. If the light in you is darkness, how great is your darkness? There's something about our relationship with money that can blind us. It's not money itself, but there is a trigger there's something about our relationship with money that can blind our vision to what matters most. We've all seen it. To what's more important. It shifts our priorities in life. We've all seen it. Being carried away. And Jesus here talks about our relationship with money. He draws a line. He says, listen, in your life, you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve money. My grandfather used to say, money is a great servant. It is a horrible master. And it's true. Jesus is talking about money here. And he turns money into a persona. He uses a term in the original here. It's mammon. It's not actually money. In the Greek, it says mammon. And mammon was a god of avarice, of greed, of money. The god of money. And he talks about mammon. And it almost like personifying uh, the money in the person of, of uh, or personifying man and mammon in the word money right there. Now, what Jesus is trying to tell us is that money can control you. It can change your vision. It can block how uh, your ability to see. It can blind us. See, money is not the problem. 
But serving money, getting after it with, with the way that it's unhealthy can be the problem. I, I actually had an experience with this and uh, it, was, it, was, it was interesting. I went to a, a job interview back in probably 2004 or 2003. No, 2013 or 14. It's off by 10 years. <laughs> Just 10 years. Um, and it was uh, over in Westchester. This, this, I applied for an IT position because I, had, I have some IT background. Uh, and uh, this position was in a recruiting company. It's a, it's a startup, I think, or it was a smaller office. It was a recruiting company, and they were looking for an IT person. So I applied. We were trying to start the church, and I had applied to many jobs, and I show up. You know, I had a suit on, and I had a, a tie on, and I'm there for the interview. And the person, the office administrator who had called me in, uh, she had, we had talked on the phone about this position as an IT person. And I walk in, and she comes in a little flustered, uh, almost in a hurry, and say, Okay, thank you. You look so good. Thank you for coming. And I just want to tell you, the boss is going to come in, but he's going to interview for a recruiter position. Not the position that you applied. I know that you want to apply for IT, but we're actually hiring for a recruiter. And I'd love for you to apply for that position because I think that you'll be good for that. She didn't know me from Adam. And she said, but if you could tell him that you applied for a recruiter position, you, get me. you would get me out of trouble. And I was like, oh, what a great uh, uh, work environment here. I can tell that I want to work here already. I was like, all right, this is not going to go well. So the guy walks in, you know, we, we share pleasantries, and then he asks me a question. He says, do you feel like you need money? I said, I mean, well, we've got to pay the bills. I've got, I got kids. My wife is pregnant, you know. Yeah. No, 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 no. You don't, you don't get it. Are you hungry for money? I was like, well, I mean, it's needed to live in the world, you know. No, 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 no. When you wake up in the morning, do you feel that pain in your gut? Like, I got to get money. It's like, I can't, I can't tell you that I've ever felt that. Ever. Like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see it that way. And, and he said, all right. He got up and left, and I overheard him saying, he just doesn't have it. No, he doesn't have He's a great guy, but he doesn't have it. I was like, if it... Is that? I don't want to have it ever. I don't want to wake up with the pain in my tummy because I want money. I want to wake up and smell the coffee, you know, and just have a good time with my family. But that's what greed does. That, that, that ill hunger where you always feel like you need to get more and more and more and more. And this guy set up a culture in his office. For greed. And what happened? Immediately you can see that the culture is dishonest. Because his own office administrator is asking me, somebody she never met in life, to lie. So that I could help her. Imagine what kind of environment this is. And it doesn't surprise me if the man at the top says, you got to get hungry for money. Have it for breakfast. You know? <laughs> For that, for that man, love of money was the answer. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. And if, we don't care, if we're not careful, mammon will try to get our hearts. See, mammon is after your heart. We need to be aware of that. Mammon is after every single one of our hearts here. 
And because all, all of us, we have a capacity for greed. It's not just those who have, every single person. Those who have and those who have not have a capacity for greed and have a capacity to be lost in it. And what's God's answer for that? God's answer for that is generosity. Generosity keeps mammon controlled. So I want to give you very practical, a very practical tool here, uh, specifically dealing with finances. Simple practice that I learned from our good man, Dave Ramsey. And I wish I would have known this when I was little and growing up and when we first got married. Because this has been a great tool in our lives. Um, three processes when it comes to your money. First is so. I'm going to keep in all S's, okay? So. Second one is save. The third one is spend. Three process. Three step disbursement process. First one is so, that's, that's giving. That should be the first thing you do with your finances. At whatever place you are in your budget, you should, let me encourage you to do this. To, to make a habit to give first. The scripture talks about the first fruits. If you do a word search in scripture about the first fruits, it's all over. The scriptures and what the first fruits were back in the day that was an agrarian society the first fruits were the first of your crop and people would bring that to God as an offering the very first of your crop now nowadays I don't think we have any farmers in the room here most of you are in business finance and you are scientists and you are teachers and you have all we have a variety of people in this congregation and you work in a variety of jobs but let me put everybody in the same example here. Let's say you perform a job to somebody and your client or customer pays you $100 for that job. And he pays you $100 in 10 $10 bills. Puts it in your hand. Which one is the first fruit? The first fruit is the first one to go out. It's not necessarily the first one to come in. The first fruit is the first one to go out. And some of you are saying, ooh, I've been giving my first fruit for years to FICA. <laughs> one person got it. It's right there, JD. It's true. But when you have it, put it in your heart. You know what? I'm going to set in our budget. Where, at whatever point you are, and I encourage you to do a percentage right? If you can't do 10% like the Bible instructs, do 1%. Start where you can and say every time I get paid, 1% of my income is going to a cause, to somebody, to a friend. I'm going to give. I'm going to give it away. What will that do? That will cause a transformation in your heart. Firstly, because you're going to have to think about somebody else. You're going to have to think about another cause something beyond yourself you're going to be aware of things around you and not only that you're going to do something about that situation and if you start that what you're doing you're consecrating what you have you are dealing with mammon in your heart the second thing once you've done that the second thing is you save consider that as you giving to your future self given to your children given to uh, um, you know the whatever your retirement you put it aside and then the third step is you live on the rest a, 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 an ideal a, a recommendation by 
Uh, Dave Ramsey here is a 10-10-80, where you, say, you give 10%, you save 10%, and you live on 80%. That should be a goal. And I understand that some of us here, we might be in a season right now where this is hard to do. I get it. Some of you might be in a season right now where you're like, you know what, JD, I'm, I'm, I'm paying down debt right now. And I'm putting every single dollar to pay down the debt that I have. Let me, let me encourage you with this. Uh, Dave Ramsey also, great reference, Total Money Makeover, if you want to read a good book on finances. Uh, he talks about the importance of uh, having an emergency fund. And if you don't have an emergency fund, that also will uh, bring a lot of peace to your heart. You can just... Set your head, your head on the pillow at night knowing that if anything happens, there's provision for it. So you can work toward that. And an amount that he puts for households that he recommends is $1,000 of, uh, of uh, an emergency fund. There you go. I gave you some practicals today. Very practical. All right. Remember this from our message today. Give first. And when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see somebody who's barely getting by. When Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see someone who's visionless or a hot mess. When he looks at you, he sees what? The light of the world. You are a blessing. You're somebody who carries life and love and peace and encouragement and friendship. It's all within you. And you can be the change in those around you. You are the light of the world. I wonder what would happen and what life would be like if instead of waiting to be blessed, we decided to be a blessing. What would happen to your marriage if instead of waiting for your spouse to compliment you, you gave the first compliment? What would happen if instead of holding on to a grudge and waiting for that person to apologize, you were the first to go and say, hey, I'm sorry. Just be good at being the first at saying, I'm sorry. What would happen to our neighborhoods and our communities if instead of waiting to be shown love, we were the first ones to show love and say, hey, I love you. I love you. There's a better way for you to live. I love you. And here's my friendship and my love. I want to encourage you to live in this mindset with a give first Mentality, do you receive it this morning? Amen. Amen. Amen.